we're have 44 to edit this minutes out, in. No, we are. Two part series. That's what I was just thinking. This might have to be two parts. Well, maybe we just have too much we've to been, say to each other. We've been on our goofies. Yeah, and <laughs> also like again, recently. like people don't have to tune in. It's only if they want to. Yes, if you don't care about this, <laughs> this isn't for you. This is yeah. for us. <laughs> Hello, all you precious goobers and goblins. Welcome back to another episode of Fringe Religion. This one being part two of a two-part episode because my special guests Arjaman and I could not stop gabbing. And when we when we get going, it, like we went on a lot of tangents. There was a lot of editing involved in these two. Anyways, hello. Um, for those of you who are new here, welcome. My name is Zelda Reed. I am your host on this wacky little journey of exploring the occult, the um, esoteric, the spiritually fascinating little subcultures of religion that um, don't get their fair airtime. Um, yeah, and if you don't know about me, um, I mean, I said a little bit about this in my intro, but let me let me run it back for you all, because it's been a minute. I did go on a little bit of a hiatus, um, but I'm really passionate about all this stuff because I had a lot of experiences with some weird stuff that uh, you'll hear more about as we go along but uh ghostly visitations possessions whatever lots of things that uh sort of blend together with you know different more institutionalized religions and uh I went on to become a religious studies scholar got two degrees in it and um yeah, but I just became a little bit disheartened about uh, the institution of it all, how uh, religion and spiritual matters are talked about and distilled into some pretty blunt forms when that's not the experience of a lot of the people around me. So uh, throughout this, I just want to bring to you the listener, the people, whoever, whatever beings are listening um, all of these beautiful little nuggets of spiritual interest that I've come across in my life and have been brought to me by different folks that will uh, come and guest star here every now and again. Um, but yeah, and y to be frank, I am sick of the most accessible religious media being evangelical Christianity, you know, like do whatever you want to do. That's not my business your pathless path is your pathless path, but, um, you know, I, and there's also a lot of hearsay about a lot of the practices that I'm going to be talking about in the show, you know, whether it's voodoo, blood rituals, alchemy, whatever, there's a lot of misunderstandings about it in popular culture. It'll lead you to think that it's some really dark stuff, but, um, these spiritual practices are really grounded in uh love for a lot of people and so yeah i'm sort of going off but um 
I'm just really happy to be back and really happy to um, be in conversation with so many of you. Like during my hiatus, whether it was because I was sick or just wondering if this project was worth it, um, worth the time, the energy, I met so many beautiful people who were so encouraging of this and had their own experiences. Um, And at the end of the day, if you find anything from these conversations, from this research, what have you, that um, informs your own practice or maybe helps you look at the world with a little bit more of an open heart, whatever, you know, or even just saying, hey, that's not for me, but now I know more about it. I'm a little informed. I don't think that, you know, I don't think that alchemists only turn substances into gold and I don't think that tarot readers are satanists things like that you know it whatever you get from this I I'm glad you're here I'm glad you find your way you found your way here um however you found it so yeah anyways that brings me to the subject of today's episode if you didn't listen to the last part one um you can go do that right now if you'd like but I'm just going to catch us up a little bit on where we are. So I sat down with my dear friend, beloved artist, and um, definitely one of the most well-read people I have ever had the pleasure of meeting, especially well-read in in the world of um, weird, maybe um, esoteric sort of they're really on a little dark librarian vibe you know they they are rarely ever do i consult them about some weird niche topic and they don't know a good bit but this one they are particularly passionate about so my friend r jammin you know artist friend uh one of my favorite people in the world uh is really passionate about hilma off klimt who, if you all don't know, is an abstract artist from a Victorian era. We get into a little bit about that, like 1860s-ish. And she has these incredibly vibrantly colored, you know, if you you haven't seen these works, I, I suggest looking at them on Google Images or something, but very brightly colored, swirling, whirling, um, a you look at them for a moment and you can um you can feel the profundity of her understanding of color and symbol and uh flow I guess for lack of a better word um she's seen as one of the first abstract artists in existence and was certainly not appreciated in her time especially the practices that she was doing in her time. So why are we talking about this abstract artist on a show about little religious niches? Um, well, she's getting a lot of a lot of recognition now, especially amongst Gen Z. Like she's kind of popping off and like those artistic little like Tumblr kid spaces. If anybody likes art in um, our generation, they know about uh, Hilma off Klimt. Um, but some people may not know that she was a spiritualist who really brought a fresh sort of queer mysticism, um, to her art and her person through her life and, uh, 
through her journals that we see about this. So she had a group of women who she practiced with and convened with um, different spirits and uh, channeled their messages into her work. She definitely felt like her work, um, her art was being guided by higher beings, higher powers that were communicating with her. And as their relationship continued, she um, learned more and more how to relate with them and bring her own voice into it as well. So her art is all very bright and abstract and at times very massive. And it is so distinct for the time. And we go a little bit into like semiotics and the use of symbol and uh, the the potency of these paintings where you don't actually have to have an intellectual understanding of symbol in order to look at these paintings and to feel moved in a certain direction. So it might be a nice practice actually if you want to look at any of these paintings on Google Images, just maybe meditating or sitting with one um, because they are definitely they are definitely worth that attention. And so, yeah, we go into the mystical and the intuitive uh, potency of symbols, you know, not on our Carl Jung grind or anything like that, but we talk about it a little bit. And we also talk about the importance of queerness in Hilma's life and sort of the dissonance between how in the art world and in the academia world, that part of her life her, um, you know, lesbian or queer tendencies and existence being completely underwritten or ignored or outright denied in those circles versus it being tokenized in younger spaces, Gen Z spaces, and spaces that want to appeal to that sort of rainbow capitalism, right, that we all know about, you know, trying to pull people in with just like fetishizing almost this very narrow aspect of her life because frankly what I am more interested in is um, her contact with different different spiritual realms and dimensions and the practices that her and her uh, coven for lack of a better word you know exercised and used Anyways, so it's just an interesting dissonance and hopefully this episode can be a a little bit of light into uh, the duality of both like, yes, she was queer and also that is hardly the most interesting thing about her and, you know, we can acknowledge that and also not have that be the end point of our engagement with this beautiful artist. Yeah, so (laughs) I guess... uh, that's all I wanted to share before, that's all that's really moving through me right now uh, before we get into this episode. Anyways, my friend Art Jammin is a beautiful artist. Um, you can see all of their works on their website. I think it's rjammin.com. Um, I'll put that in the description of the video. Um, and if this all sounds confusing and like a, a, a lot it's okay. We're very casual people. And um, at the end of the day, if, if things are rambling and winding down the road, you know, just follow that journey with us and see where it, where it takes you. And if you, if you get anything from it. Yeah. And if you resonate with the vision here, if you have questions or inquiry or want to suggest a guest or connect or whatever, feel free to find me on Instagram 
at fringe.religion, I believe. And through that, you can find my email, fringereligionpod at gmail.com, and also the Patreon, because this, you know, the recording equipment costs money, the time that it takes to edit this, all that stuff. You guys know why, like, in this day and age, supporting the arts is important. Um, So, yeah, it's uh, Fringe Religion on Patreon as well. You can find that in my Instagram link, or you can also just... I'm sure Google fringe religion, Patreon, fringe.religion, the forward slash Patreon.com. I don't know. You can figure it out. You can find it. I trust that. Um, so feel free to email me, DM me if you have any um, urge to, if you have any poll to do that. I love hearing what's moving in the field, like what people are interested in right now. Yeah. And I have some interesting episodes in the backlog as well that I'm excited to get out into the world but yes a lot is moving right now oh and if you like this episode please give it a five-star review on Spotify or whatever platform you're listening on it sincerely helps a lot so without further ado here is our Jamin and I's conversation about the magical mystical wonderful surreal human and many other topics <laughs> that is uh Hilma off Clint. So yeah, hope to see you again in another episode and enjoy. Let's get into you know the 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 religiosity if we call it that yeah. or the you know if you guys are maybe picking up on this now, I like to you know blend and put under one umbrella like spirituality religion because i don't really think spirituality can be excluded from religious studies um and i think hilma is especially like a really good case study in religious studies as like sort of an independent modern mystic i would say yeah totally so maybe let's get into her method and uh what she was tapping into so now that we've established that that she's queer This entire like, first forty-five my, minutes was just establishing. That's my ultimate fear. Like anyone describing me as being like, yeah, and our jamming is a queer, weird little freak. <laughs> I'm sorry for every time I've ever described you. That. No, 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 no. It's but just like the idea of like me dying and that yeah. being my legacy. I think I, I think um, my my most recent descriptor of you was a really confident gnome. Yeah, I really do have confident gnome energy. A really upsetting <laughs> level of confidence at times. <laughs> anyway, I digress. <laughs> a really upsetting level of confidence. The people need it. The people need the it. The people We're need moving. to know. Um, anyway, what was it? Oh, so her no- her methods... So basically, and why it's uh, you know why we're talking about it on a religious studies oh, podcast. Totally. So basically, her method was that like. She operated, well, okay, I'll go into the beginning. She was trained as a botanical illustrator in Sweden. Um, she grew up to a family of map makers. Her dad was like a, um, he did something with boats and nautical map making. This was like 1867-ish that she I'm was like born. Sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah this is like, you know moving from we're not defining our terms we didn't i don't even think we talked about like what era the victorian era is the victorian era is from i believe 1837 to 1901 and then the edwardian era is from 1901 to 1919 so those are the years that we're referring to edwardian era mad petite mad petite (laughs) he didn't last that long (laughs) 
Anyway, everyone loves to be like, Victorian, Victorian stuff is Edwardian Victor- stuff. No, they're different. They're different. When you think of those steampunks, those years. are neither. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to all my steampunks out there. Um, the ones that you will later yeah, on raise. Yeah, literally my future steampunk child. Anyway, <laughs> not happening. Steampunk child, um, you're not pulling you're, from Victorian aesthetics. My future steampunk child is going to be like, mom i'm gay and i'm gonna be like oh that's fine and then they're gonna be like i'm also a steampunk and i'm gonna be like i'm sorry you can't you get out of house <laughs> <laughs> sorry i feel like i'm targeting your specific audience <laughs> anyway what was i even talking about about Helmoth clinton victorian era yeah her method was that she had a group of, like, like defems or whatever yeah Is, had, they were called like the five yeah the five she had like basically what we would now call like kind of a coven of of femmes that would meet um in the outskirts of sweden and they would stay in a little cabin that there are pictures of in the drawing room and they would hold seances and they would take notes on these seances and speak directly to their deities and this would involve automatic writing what were they called high masters the deities I don't know, actually. I was just interested in that part. I think they were called High Masters, and I they believe. had, like, seven principal ones that they thought that they were talking to. Yes. I'm sorry. Not right. thought that they were talking to, that they were talking to. That they to. were talking to. Let me to. not. Yeah. She, yeah, they were talking. They were communicating to these deities. Um, Zelda might have more information on this than I do at the moment. Um. Yeah, basically, I was less interested in the deities specifically because they didn't actually in the journals of the femmes they didn't actually write about the specific characteristics no. of these i have the journals uh, right over there and you know what let me not call them deities because they were explicitly referred to as spirits you know like yes. different things different vibes yes like energies that were convening through them and i would like there to be a little asterisk right now because um during the era like victorian spiritualists uh their women especially had to say that spirits were talking through them in order to be taken seriously about metaphys- metaphysical matters Completely. to be like this is not what i think this is what something else thinks through me well i mean have you ever read saint Teresa's writings that's all it is even like since like yeah. the 1500s it, it was is. like and this is jesus I, not my thoughts yeah well it was like this is god she didn't even say jesus it was my beloved or god yeah it was oh, like, you're right you're right this you're is right. this that. is god um I am just a humble human. I didn't even think I should write another book. And then God was like, you just really have to. And yeah, because you're going to yeah. get killed. Yeah. You're going to get killed if you're like, I believe in my work. Um, and Hillmouth Clint was like, you know, goes down in the books as a Christian mystic. No, uh, we don't. That's wild. And there are crosses in her work. But again. But the the symbolism of the cross originally meant to symbolize the intersection of the vertical and horizontal planes yeah i have Anyways, no well that's again that's like, like we're going into well we're going into the category of like scholars being like him off clint was a christian mystic and it's not like, stop being dogmatic and not actually looking not actually doing any further research into yeah. the symbolism there um because or like it, what what she was like talking about in her day-to-day you know no, like, totally but this is to be said so in the beginning the the five were convening, or at least uh, Hilma's work had to deal with uh, these spirits directly, you know, controlling her body and her mm-hmm. her painting styles. And then over the course of the eight or so years that she made these abstract, abstract paintings that were for 
what is it the the temple of the the divine yeah for um this this like temple that she had in her head as something to be like constructed for these spirits or like these alternate planes that Mm -hmm. she was talking about it would be a spiral she was gonna have but um anyway so she ended up making 193 paintings over the course of like a decade or so that was you were using these like methodologies Mm -hmm. that were highly mystical which is like entering trance-like states and originally she described her artwork as being like here are the spirits that are like moving my body I have no say in this I have no control over this and then as her career progressed as for many Victorian spiritualists then she started to frame it more as like I'm having a conversation yes this is my interpretation energies and this is how I'm interpreting it like for the modern period also you know on a like woo woo note that might also be because when you first start having these like really intense mm-hmm. experiences it's super easy to second guess yourself i don't so even they think might that's woo woo like, well it's it might just be like in the beginning maybe these spirits were like you can't have a say about this you're doing this yeah. and then at year like three she was so used to it she was like okay now we can have like a conversation about it and they were like yeah, yeah because now you're gonna do it and not like totally and i also think art making in general is like that like i think that everyone at first just does what instinct tells them to do and whether or not Mm. they're thinking about it as spirit or instinct or um, inspiration, everyone is working from that place of need. And then later on, as you have years and years of practice, you learn how to have conversations with yourself or with your inspiration source or with with the spirit or whatever you feel like is guiding you and be like, okay, why am I doing this? What does this actually mean? But it what do does, I want to say? What do I want to say? Yeah. But it requires like pure, raw output at first. And so you see a lot of her earlier work um, are these like really crazy scribbles of letters and um, what is called asemic writing, which is writing that isn't meant to specifically mean anything, um, but it resembles writing or maybe has an internal language to one that hasn't been like publicly decoded. Um you see a lot of spirals, you see a lot of really fast made things, things that are um, painted on um, really big sheets of paper that were laid down on the floor. The, also, and was big, that with her yeah. coven? I I thought I saw like some, some mm-hmm. making art together at some point. They points. were, they were, and their sketchbooks were with all of their stuff together in it. Um, and a lot of them were pencil um, drawings. I guess some of them were watercolor, but a lot of it was that these group seances would happen and then also Hilma had her own personal practice where she did these things on her own. Also, some of the things were that she painted at the time were reiterations of things she saw in visions or experienced in like automatic sessions with this mm. with the seance group. You can see this in her sketchbooks where you'll see a sketch of something or a sketch of a symbol and then later on a bigger version of that thing that has been fleshed out um Mm -hmm. a bit more fully um but yeah all of these were really massive that's an important thing and then in her sketchbook she did small versions of them to kind of categorize them and keep them um i guess able to be transported or uh, i guess viewed in a categorical way um but yeah at first it moved through these shapes that were sort of like spirography and um, atomic and asemic writing adjacent. And then it moved into arranging these shapes in patterns and um, arrangements that felt like 
they were developing a cosmology, I mm. guess, a bit more. Yeah. Also, do you know if she was, if um, she was like studying alchemical symbol in her own life? Because when I was just like looking through some of her paintings before I came here today, it was like there were a lot that reminded me of like from many one type of vibe. Totally. Well, you know, it's again, it's one and of you those write it, and you uh, doing all the illustrations for like on alchemy too. You're a Thank wealth you. of knowledge for all that symbology. So I imagine you look at Thank you. Helmut's paintings and do see, um, yeah, the the development of those symbols. Well, the maybe. thing is, is like maybe. alchemical symbols um, overlap a lot with Rosicrucian symbols, with spiritualist symbols, and um, I believe that she probably did some alchemical research but also even if she wasn't directly the texts that she was reading on theosophy or spiritualism were deeply rooted in alchemical ideas Uh, and so either way she was absorbing these concepts and aware through both her christian upbringing and through the indoctrination into the spiritualist movement or you know what scholars claim to be christian mysticism um she definitely had like a really a really profound grasp on symbology and um whether or not she was directly looking at the source material of alchemical texts i don't think anyone really knows but it could be assumed that she was or at least looking at like a secondary or tertiary um source of that regard damn well the spirits definitely picked a good person to totally communicate any uh any meanings from beyond uh especially since she did have as you said an amazing grasp of symbolic understanding and i think a lot of her symbology also stems from like her knowledge of the natural world Mm -hmm. and um her ability to observe like in plants um i guess on the cellular very small level what was going on that echo human bodies and echo larger like cosmic patterns um which are really it's really stunning to see that her her paintings and especially consider them in a in a time frame when um microscopic image was very hard to find and kind of elusive and um and x-ray was just kind of coming about yeah I'm not often talking to people who, you know, because being on the academia side of things, I immediately want to go in for, like, analysis, and you having a more, like, artistic approach to these things and seeing, like, almost, like, the ocean of mm. what gave rise to this, uh, this like, momentum for her life. Well, I was, like, absolutely floored when I found out about her work um, when I was in high school, um, I found out about it through like a slideshow of I think it was like it was like a video about women artists or something and her her painting was like a really brief frame and I just paused it and was like who's that who's this one and looked it up um, I think in an art book in my school's library and found her and was like whoa um, and was just absolutely transfixed. And then I applied to work at a museum that was supposed to maybe get her show when it was in like talkings about this like big Hillmoff Clint res- retrospective happening. And I got the job at the museum from like begging them to let me be here for that show. And then they didn't end up even getting it. Mm. Um, um, but like I was just kind of like found this 
draw towards it and I didn't really understand why um and then I realized that like on a subconscious level I think art operates in a way that um I don't know is I don't think like you even really need to be able to decode symbols all that much and that's why I feel like I gravitate towards working with symbols so much in my in my practice that like it's not because I'm trying to encode anything specific I'm not trying to like pull one over on anyone or create a system of people that like can you know gatekeep or weed out a specific audience Mm -hmm. or whatever but I think that inherently certain things just carry a sort of semiotic weight to them Mm -hmm. and some people just really know how to like linguistically use these symbols in ways um that will just like resonate deeply with one's own view of cosmology and when i look at her work um like regardless on how on like how well versed she was in like the academia of symbology or specific meanings you know um like you see in freud who's like well versed in all this and is like or jung who is like, I can tell you exactly what this thing means in this context. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I feel like it's just as important to have a really intuitive grasp on what these symbols are. Definitely, and I think that lends to really potent symbols. Yeah, totally. Is like one that transcends language, and that's something that I talked about a lot in the Unicorn and Egg episodes. Mm -hmm. Um, Which I loved. Those were both great. Oh, thank you. Is like... I mean, the unicorn less so because that was mainly translated through, like, stories that people already knew before they put a visual to it. But, like, with the egg, it's, like, anybody can look at an egg and understand that it's, like, many in one thing. Totally. You know, if you, like, critically look at something. You know, it's, like, if you're, you're like, tripping (laughs) or whatever and you look at an egg... You're like, wow, I think a lot of people are going to come to like, yeah, a lot of people are going to come to the same conclusions of like, wow, that could be a live chicken or that could be my food. Yeah. Or that could be dead already. Yeah. It's like Schrodinger's egg cat. But I've done a lot of research on emblems. And um, did I send you that paper I did? Mm -mm. Okay. Well, I've done a lot of research on medieval emblems and um medieval semiotics and basically there's this idea that umberto eco who is a semiotician coined um and it's called hermetic drift which kind of explains the idea of how hermetic scholars um particularly of the medieval era viewed symbols and it had to do with the idea that symbols were sort of Unlike the kind of like modern view that maybe a symbol is something that represents something culturally, this hermetic idea was that a symbol is inherently linked to a ton of other symbols and they all exist in the realm of the divine and that these symbols were placed in a sort of cosmic order by a divine hand. Mm, And so upon seeing a symbol, you don't really need... A specific cultural context to be able to tap into a divine realm mm-hmm. and that symbols are a direct link to the divine and that also every symbol is not an answer but it is a it's like a doorway to even more enigmatic symbols mm-hmm. and that everything kind of trails around to each other and I see this a lot in off work the way she works is not um in a way that like 
I think modern semiotics operates where, um, where like you can point at something and be like, I know exactly what this means, which I feel like scholars do all the time to her work. They point to her work and they're like, they're like, here you see the man on one side and the woman on the other. And that, that means that they are in union and it's about the two sides of the spirit. And it's like, or it also means like a ton of other things that have to do with like you deeply meditating on a concept Mm -hmm. and feeling it deeply all of her works are really deeply meditative like you can look at those symbols for forever and it's just like layer upon layer upon layer like a symbol is not supposed to be a one sentence thing yeah and that's where like that's a very modernist view of to be like sign and signifier like this is the sign and this is the signifier we have the symbol here and then the definition and like I think medieval scholarship with that I think a lot of these alchemical ideas are tying from um, and also like medieval scholarship that later influenced the theosophists who were making a return to this, um, upon a rejection of like traditional Christianity, um, was really about, um, enigma and mystery and mm-hmm. hidden things and things Dog, that where's the enigma nowadays? Yeah. Where's I'm sorry. The I'm just like, people need to be more enigmatic nowadays. Live in not, the, not live in, in the, the way that they are, but in the way that you like perceive the live in the unknown live in guy. the unknown literally <laughs> on the french religion instagram page it was like i was posting um like my second episode really late and i posted this meme that was like me remembering how i was paranoid when i could have been respecting the mystery yeah literally like why isn't everyone respecting the mystery yeah we could all be respecting the mystery a little bit more um but that's what i feel and about Helma her did that yeah Helma respected the <laughs> mystery. Just, you and i just looked at yeah, each we other like, we just zoned and it she and did. she did and she, and did, she did respect <laughs> the mystery and you know what yeah on not queer theology but just queer theory in yeah. general so much of queerness is like diving into the unknown because even when you think about like how relationship models look how sex is going to look it's like mysterious and i'm saying that from a day and age when people are making like extensive tumblr posts are writing books about it there's like (laughs) there's like courses in college but there's no model that's true i think that's something that like we are all constantly like as queer people unconditioning ourselves mm -hmm. in to be like okay i started this relationship with this person and like i also like going back to helm off clint like the way that you're viewing her relationship and being like, prove it, prove that they were almost married and it's had not sex. respecting the mystery. It's not respecting the mystery, but also it's incredibly straight. And yeah. it's like, it's sort of like, well, even now, like you're looking at queer people who are figuring out what love looks like, what sex looks like, what relationship boundaries look like. And we're constantly thinking and rethinking about that because we weren't given a structure. Mm-hmm. We were never given like a proper structure for a relationship like it's not like these queer women of the spiritualist movement were like let me figure out how to have this relationship with a woman that looks exactly like a marriage i would have had with a man yeah it's a completely different ball game that you have to learn from Mm -hmm. scratch and i think that's like exactly what a bunch of queer people i think our age are doing are constantly thinking about like what it means to be a certain gender or what it means to have a certain relationship to one another what monogamy means what um what partnership looks like and it's diving into these mysteries of nature going back to like queerness being very derivative of like our natural state or just being our natural state yeah and then the same thing with like 
Hilma's experiences with the divine. It doesn't matter whether these spirits were objective things yeah. that existed. Like that is absolutely not <laughs> what should be discussed here. Yeah, literally. It's like the mystery of regardless, we know she was having these very profound experiences of introspection and the way she situated herself in the world yeah. and who are we to say otherwise exactly. and i think like her being like what like trying to figure out hilmoflin's like personal relationships is kind of almost akin to being like how does hilmoflin fit into the world of western abstract art canon it's like why she was do you doing say, something completely different why does yeah. it matter like why are you obsessed with that yeah <laughs> yeah and, like, having gone to art it's school not... and, like, had art history for, oh, my God, like, nine years now, a total of um, consistent art history courses, um, I think that, like, I've had it drilled into my head that the way that, like, the art world or the art history canon operates is, like, the actual progression of events. And it's sort of, like, no room for nuance, so... I guess like so straight like mm -hmm. it's so masculine heavy it's so like woman is muse heavy um and I think I had a really big fear about being an artist for a long time or even more than being an artist being married to an artist because I was like well if I'm married to an artist I will become a muse and and I think that like I'm I'm trying to like I'm I'm going to tie it back together I um no, I feel like the fear of becoming a muse is sort of like what these women of this time period were relegated to, to if they were going to engage in a traditional marriage structure. Yeah, or be participants in the art world. It's totally. like then you were an object in the art world. Yeah, and then you were a muse. And like no one would have taken off Clint seriously. And she knew this and she that's why when she died, she put her paintings in a vault. She gave the keys to her nephew, like metaphorical keys. I don't know about the literal yeah, piece but she told her nephew she was like no one can see these for 30 years and after you know after i die give it 30 years then maybe tell the public about it mm -hmm. then eventually, and nobody cared and no one cared no one cared when they were uh when, unvaulted yeah no one really cared then for she another was 20 kind years of, like, yeah and then she was kind of like included in exhibition with like a bunch of other like feminine abstract artists mm -hmm. um at LACMA in the 90s yeah that was actually really uh like cool to me that that's right when like your fetal body is breaking onto the scene yeah, literally and I think I was a in really LA. small yeah I think I was really small as a child when that came out I don't know when when was that it's just no I think that was I think Maybe it was 86 I think no it, was, like, it couldn't have been that early I was thought it was it? yeah I think it was that early because oh, she died okay, in 44 mind. She died in 44 no, and then she the, was... when did was the Lox, the Lachma exhibition? Yeah, no, she died in like 1944. There was like 20 years that... Oh, I guess so. The vault was open after 20 years and then it took another 20 years before it was actually shown anywhere. I think okay. it was 86 or 89. You might be right. Then I was not born at all. Yeah. But, um... <laughs> then I was not born I at all. I was not born at but all. But it's just, I don't know, it was cool to me to be like... And it was in LA no, where our jamming would soon be walking the streets. Walking the streets. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Getting pushed in the streets exactly no, where no. uh those paintings had uh well yeah brushed the atmosphere alongside agnes martin who i feel like operates in a very you know not in a completely similar way to hilma um but in a equally like meditative obsessive hermetic way 
mm-hmm. and in a way that was very much about kind of communing with some sort of source or um, meditating. Um, but also it was like she was one of many in a show mm-hmm. and it took until 2019 or 2018 for her to get a retrospective of her own work in a museum. Sheesh. And that really puts it into perspective with how much she's talked about these days. Like, I feel like she's quickly become very, like, very well known amongst people our age who like art. And it's with the tagline, like, lesbian lesbian artist. (laughs) Like, because when you first started talking to me about her, I was like, I don't really know much about her other than, like, lesbian artists with, like, some swirly pictures, I think. Really? Yeah, you took out her book and you showed it to me, and I was like, was she gay? Yeah, I mean, (laughs) like, but that's, like, really the tagline. Like, you see all of these, like, buzzword articles about it. Yeah, and it's like, she was so much more than gay, and also she was gay. Yeah, but also, like, they're all looking at her work and being like, yeah, she was gay, and that's, like, she's so iconic. And then you read all of the... Yeah, you read all of the research on her academically, and, like, the one that was released most recently um, was actually released in conjunction with, like, her estate and... Like a book about her? Yeah, a book about her, and it was edited heavily with an introduction by one of her, like, distant relatives, Um. and the whole thing was like, yeah, and her lifelong companion, you know? There's still cover-ups happening. Yeah, yeah. I think there was a documentary that was recently put out about her, too. I think that's what really... Oh, did you? I feel like that's what really led to her... um, Gay icons. Or her getting to be well-known amongst people our age. I guess so, yeah. I I think I did watch that documentary, and I believe that the person who wrote that book is in that documentary also. Um, But... The documentary was also disappointing because, again, it's made by, I feel like there's, like, I feel like I'm going to sound really annoying because I'm just going to be, like, blah, 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 blah. All of these scholars are doing it wrong and I could do it better, but, like, but I couldn't do it better. But there's a visible, stark dissonance between yes. what is being written about academically and what is being written about... Like, pop culture Pop culturally, was. and that's because, you know, pop culture is not taking her work seriously to the point of analyzing her much beyond identity politics yeah and And academia is so rooted in like cishet normativity that it's that they are doing the thing that's like prove they were having sex no totally and i did see like a spiritualist um paper on her that was sort of like let's look at the spiritualist and christian mystic symbols in off clint's work and it was like i tried to read it and be like oh wow really interesting scholarship like this person's doing the thing that i'm trying to do and then I read it and I was like, oh, like, it sounds like you missed the point entirely. Like, they were looking at her paintings of um, men and women and being like, this is about the sacred union that happens between the man and the woman. And I was like, when someone is painting men and women, it doesn't mean that they're straight. It can just be duality. It's just about duality. Like, it's not it necessarily about, duality. like, and also it's about the, the, like, the spiritualist concept that, inside every woman is a man and inside every man is a woman and that they're mm-hmm. and even like young talks about this with the anima and the animus mm-hmm. that um that there is no masculine without the feminine and there's no feminine without the masculine and that's not necessarily meaning that it has to take form in physical partnership 
Yeah, it means that it's within you. Yeah. It means that like personally Word. you are a union of man and woman and you are complete in that way. Mm. Mm. Okay. I feel like I'm just running my ideas into the ground. I appreciate though because I think this was a very beautiful conversation and I think our enthusiasm will radiate to the viewers. I would just like to say though, I am perhaps notoriously a hater of the word mystic being used out of context like if people look at a sunset and they go oh that's such a mystical sunset i'm like excuse me (laughs) (laughs) what revelations did that give you i'm sorry i'm yeah yeah no you can be a hater this is one thing that we've learned together in our friendship is is that that we can be haters um self-identified hater all right so i'm just gonna say i'm very stingy with the way i dole out the word mystic because it's been used in such a wide array of wild contexts that it has almost lost all meaning. But in the true religious studies sense of the term mystic, in, you know, coming from the entomology of the Greek word mystikos, like hidden, revealed, and also one who has ascended. Can I say something really annoying? I'm just going to say, I... I would classify Hilma Offklint as a mystic, and I think that... A lot of her methodology, when it gets looked back on in religious studies, will be like, oh, she was doing something mystical. It's just that she wasn't, and she is a mystic, but she just wasn't um, trying to, like, convert anybody or working within a framework that was uh, as dogmatic as an institutionalized religion. I completely agree. I completely, completely agree. And cut out the part where I said, can I say something annoying? Because it's irrelevant now. What was the annoying thing? That entomology, I believe, is the study of bugs, and I think etymology is the study of words. I thought it was the other way around. Can I look it up? Etymology? Entomology is about bugs. I appreciate it. I need to it was I need to be humbled it sometimes. It was right when I was going on my hater tangent too. No, so. you can just cut you can just say etymology and cut it right in. Endomology. Etymology. Etymology? No. Etymology. Okay, etymology. The etymology. Okay, we got it. And then our mics died because we spent almost two hours talking about many, many things that were not actually the subject of this episode. But regardless, I really enjoyed listening back to when I was editing all of this. Um, I think you can really feel uh, the love and excitement we have for uh, each other's minds and worlds and all of that. Um, Yeah, so I hope I hope this episode was entertaining, was intriguing. Maybe you have have some questions, which I am glad to answer at the end of these episodes right here. And um, like I said, Instagram, fringe.religion, and Patreon, fringereligion, forward slash Patreon, something like that. And you can email me and talk about anything that you want to in my dms my uh whatever my email fringereligionpod at gmail.com i am so excited to engage with you all about these weird winding subjects and magic has been flowing through the air recently so i'm looking forward to more episodes on um some weird and interesting little let's say, spiritual subcultures that, once again, I don't feel get their fair airtime when we talk about religion and spirituality. Um, And that being said, I actually received a question that was on how I differentiate spirituality and religion. 
and the thing is as um as you go along in the study of religion you realize how much of a colonial and feudal um word religion actually is because it has such a protestant creation story the word religion that um pretty much anything we consider religion quote unquote is basically just how much can we fit this belief system into something that looks like christianity especially protestant christianity so really religion is quite a useless category of study because you know then you get into all these things like oh is spiritualism a religion it certainly looks like religion in a lot of ways but then at the same time i don't want to conform what we're studying to that protestant mold i think that's very over i think that is very pointless and um repressive to do you know it's a, it does a disservice to what we're talking about so um for me spirituality and religion is quite interchangeable and it's more so about the efficacy of practice and belief in that sort of sustained focus with something so i guess the one thing is maybe whereas some people say oh i'm spiritual not religious i am always interested to see the practices or to hear about the practices that maybe go along with those people's experience but yeah there's actually a small there was a pew research survey that was like some people actually identify as religious not spiritual and um yeah in in religious academia we're quite puzzled about what to do with that <laughs> like what does that mean <laughs> um i guess that means all of the practices are there but without any um I guess without any conviction behind it. I don't know if you answered to that Pew Research survey, please email me um, and let me know what you meant by that. Uh, something I'm always interested in too is about like, where did these survey statistics come from? Because I certainly never get asked to do a Pew Research study anyways. With that, I'm going to leave you all to uh, simmer on what we talked about. Thank you for coming here, however you found your way to it. I am Zelda Reed, and I am so gassed to be your host for the foreseeable future, the journey that we have ahead. And if you liked this episode, please give it five stars. And if you didn't, let me know what you want to see more of. I mean, it's uh, my podcast, and I'm going to do whatever I want, but I like to know what the people have to say. So um, go with grace, and uh, peace to the living, eternal rest to the dead. Goodbye.